We're here with Dr. Anish Shah. He is the Deputy Managing Director and Chief Financial Officer of Mahindra and Mahindra, joining us from Mumbai. Dr. Shah, great to have you here with us. I'm, I'm so looking forward to talking with you because you are a global company that sees so much, plays in so many different industries, and you play so much around the world. You're in so many different countries. First of all, how are you all doing? You're doing very well, Carol, and I hope all is good with you and your family. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about, you know, our world right now, because what's interesting is I think about Anand Mahindra of your company. We talked to about a year ago at Bloomberg's Global Business Forum during the UN General Assembly. He was very optimistic um, about the outlook uh, at, in terms of the world. That was September of 2019. So much, as you know, has changed since then. Tell me a little bit about um, specifically the impact that COVID-19 has had on your company. So the impact has been significant on us as well as everyone around us. Uh, we saw the month of April essentially wiped out in terms of revenue as a lockdown was declared in India towards end of March. And uh, since then, things have come back actually very well, uh, much better than what we expected. There are a number of lessons from this as well. And this, in my view, will position us stronger going forward. So while COVID is unfortunate and we do hope that things do get better soon, uh, it is also teaching us lessons about how not to just survive, but how to thrive, how to deal with uncertainty. And uh, that will make us stronger. Well, that's so interesting that you say that. And I do think a lot of CEOs, it's interesting, go back to March, I feel like no one wanted to talk to us because there was so much uncertainty. Nobody had visibility. And then we all realized we're all in the same boat together. And so, you know, people have been talking about what they're facing, CEOs specifically. I am curious in terms of risk mitigation, what have you learned as a result of the virus when it comes to risk mitigation at your company? What we've learned is we've got to, as leaders, start being able to look around corners and be able to look at various scenarios and plan for them. We talked about a VUCA world many years ago, and that in many ways is an understatement. So the world has just gotten a lot more volatile and uncertain since then. And we have to be able to plan with scenarios, take options, take certain bets that we can double down on if a certain scenario plays out. Taleb talked about black swans. And he's talked about COVID not being a black swan. He said this is something that could have been predicted, in fact, had been foreseen. So it's not a black swan in that sense. But Talib also talked about anti-fragility mm -hmm. and about how people and organizations can thrive in a crisis and can grow stronger in a crisis. So I think this is something that's teaching us now as to how do we do that? Uh, and you're right, Carol, as we looked at March, things looked really bleak. And everyone was wondering what's going to happen, where is liquidity, how are we going to survive? And uh, as we look at the last few months, I think we have survived. I think we have come out stronger. And uh, it's really about the scenario planning. We have to change old paradigms. Just in time was a paradigm that we had in manufacturing. It's now just in case. Uh, and there's a whole different set of things that come in as a result of it. 
Well, it's interesting too, and I think about you know you're in a hundred different markets. You have you know about two hundred fifty thousand employees or more around the world. Um, I do wonder how do you keep your companies, your businesses, your values uh, and standards at the a level that you want them to be, that you need them to be in all of those different markets, especially in the face of such stresses as the virus. I think that essentially comes from our foundation. Um, our founders, when they set up the company in 1945, actually had uh, published um, something in the Times of India, the leading newspaper in India. And uh, they essentially published the culture, uh, they talked about the culture and the values of the company that they wanted to instill in the company when they set it up. And those values have stayed with us for the last 75 years. So this is about how we've been set up, the inherent values in the company, and that's what our leaders have imbibed. So one thing that we saw through the crisis that was very heartening for us is leaders across all our businesses um, found different ways to help the community. They came up with what are different things that we can do, and we'll talk about some of them as we go along, but uh, that's something that comes to them inherently, not because it's something that the society expects or that we have to do. That's just who we are. I asked you about optimism when we kicked off this discussion, um, Anish, and I, I do wonder, Anish, I'm looking at some of the numbers in terms of India, the virus specifically. I'm looking at uh, 54 million cases of the virus, 92,000 new cases in one day over the weekend, more than 86,000 deaths. Those are tough numbers. I mean, we had pretty tough numbers too here in New York, and it's, it's kind of staggering. It makes you stop. It makes you rethink things. Um, I asked you about optimism. Has the optimism, though, in general eroded in India or at your company? Uh, the optimism has not eroded. I feel that people are looking at how do we get past the next few months. Uh, but overall, I would say the growth fundamentals in India are very strong. The numbers in many ways are not surprising because if you look at the population density in India, it's far higher than that in the U.S. and higher than most places in the world. You look at a city of Mumbai with 20 to 25 million people, many of them very tightly packed together. Uh, these numbers in many ways are lower than what one would expect here. And as we look at some surveys, we also see some level of herd immunity that's starting to come into play just based on numbers in Mumbai. So despite the numbers, uh, the economy has opened up reasonably well. Mm. Rural India has been a very strong bellwether and it's really leading the rest of the economy forward. Urban India has suffered largely because of the lockdowns, but we're starting to see things open up there. And uh, I would say that things are difficult, so I'm not going to downplay that. But at the same time, as we look at three to five to 10 years ahead, there is a lot of optimism at Mahindra in terms of India as well as our own growth. Anish, what do you feel like comfortable in terms of predicting visibility? I mean, that's the, the other thing that we feel like, for, you know, individuals, companies have said, we don't have any visibility for the rest of this year. We don't even know about visibility for next year. Meantime, you've got at least the U.S. Central Bank. They're talking about they have visibility enough, at least at this point, to say we're going to keep rates really low. What kind of visibility do you feel comfortably talking about? Is it till the end of the year? Is it till next year? Or is it not? Or, or, or do you not really feel like you have? have any you know, it's very different across sectors yeah differences dramatic so let me give a few examples our farm equipment business 
coming out of April with almost zero sales, had a year-over-year growth in May of 2%, which we had not expected. We would have been very happy with uh, a degrowth of 30 or 40%, and we would have said, that's great, we are getting back on track. But we had a 2% year-over-year growth. Mm. In June, we had a 12% year-over-year growth. July was 28%. August was 69% year-over-year. So the farm equipment business has really come back very strongly. The IT business expected a number of cancellations, expected customers to be under stress, but the last quarter was the best ever cash generation quarter for them. The order book is at a three-year high. So the IT business is doing extremely well. Again, both are driven by various factors. Uh, as we look at the auto business, that's been much weaker because with the urban lockdowns, consumers have not been buying. Uh, we were at a 50% capacity utilization a couple of months ago because of various supply stresses as well. Uh, that has gone up now to 70%. Things are starting to come back. Their visibility is a little poorer in terms of what we would expect. It will take about three to six months to get anywhere close to normal. And getting back to normal may actually take even longer than that. Um, our holidays business in, in hospitality mm -hmm. uh, has seen huge demand. Uh, our resorts right now, because of how we need to manage the virus, we are only about 50% of rooms available for the public because we rotate them, keep them vacant for 24 hours and so on. But uh, many of our resorts are seeing uh, over bookings and are finding it difficult to deal with uh, the demand that's coming in. So I think it's different in every industry. And the hope that we have right now is that things don't get worse again. We don't see a bigger second wave. So if things stay as they are and start getting better from here, uh, then I think many of our industries will be in good shape. We are worried about many of our suppliers and some of the mm -hmm. medium and small scale industries. Uh, they've gone through far higher stress than some of the larger companies have. And it is important for us to make sure that they survive through this and uh, that we can help them through the crisis as well. And I do wonder, you know, Anish, what business strategies you will ultimately keep in place? You know, what might need to be delayed? What might need to be stepped up because of what happened with the virus? Like I'm looking at some of the strengths, you know, the strong businesses um, that you have seen, whether it's farm equipment, whether it's IT. So are there certain strategies that you're going to kind of put to the side at this point, Mahindra and Mahindra? Or is there certain other strategies, business strategies that you're like, you know what, we got to step up the pace because we've seen it. We've seen it in medicine, telemedicine. We've certainly seen, you know, the hospitality industry kind of embracing mm -hmm. more digital strategies, the fitness, the educational industries. You know, these are ones that have kind of had strategies in place, but the timeline has been stepped up because of the pandemic. And I'm curious how that impacts you guys as well. There are a few clear things we are seeing coming out of this. One is a very strong focus on fiscal discipline and capital allocation. Uh, we had to say no to certain businesses as well. We decided not to invest any more in Sangyong, which is a large automaker in Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, we decided not to wait for the U.S. Postal Service contract, uh, again, because of capital allocation and the need for returns. We decided to shut down a couple of businesses as well. So we are starting to get back to um, a very strong focus on financials, uh, maybe taking a pause on growth in the short term to make mm -hmm. sure that we can grow profitably in the long run. So that's been one outcome that uh, in many ways is a very positive thing for, for us long term. And 
as we think about uh, the other impacts here, I think it's looking at how some of our industries can help transform our own businesses and others as well. Because as you said, digital is coming out to be one major area and companies that are not ready from a digital standpoint are going to be left behind. Uh, the good news there is we've been on that journey for the last five to seven years and many of our businesses are well prepared for that. Uh, but this pandemic has just accelerated digital. Right. When it comes to the digital space, I mean, and I know you, I know that the company has been doing kind of an overall recalibration and looking to focus on those businesses that can be one billion market cap or more. So, is IT another? Is that one area in particular that you'll be focusing on? Where will you be um, either spending cap x, making expenditures, making investments, buying companies? Where do you see that happening? Because we've seen, as you know, certainly an M and A wave. Uh, here in the U.S., but I'm curious where you think you might be um, spending company dollars or capital expenditures because those businesses are the most promising down the road. So technology is clearly a very promising area. We have a large business in Tech Mahindra that is doing really well now. We have a much smaller business called Bristlecone, which is based in Silicon Valley. It's a specialist supply chain consulting business, and it serves a number of Fortune 500 clients as well and is seeing a very different growth and demand now as different companies look at changing their supply chain. So technology will be an area of focus. Besides that, at this point, we are not planning to get into a lot of new areas. Uh, we are present across 20 plus industries and we have a number of businesses that are well positioned to be a billion dollar valuation candidates. Uh, some examples are our used car business, which really is very well positioned to create an ecosystem for used cars and become the destination for anyone that wants to buy or sell a used car. Uh, Sustain, which is a solar business, a rural housing business, auto recycling, which is a significant opportunity in India, uh, a number of businesses around agriculture. So there are 10 such businesses that we have, and we're looking at putting capital in there and making them grow, uh, eventually spinning them out as public companies as well. One of the unique factors about the Mahindra Group is we have eight different publicly listed entities. And our approach is essentially as a federation of companies. So create value for shareholders, spin off companies and go public and drive synergies across them to enhance that value. So I do have to talk a little bit more about the auto industry. We'd be remiss if I didn't because of uh, the global footprint that you folks have uh, when it comes to the auto industry specifically. You mentioned, um, saying young motor are you close to a sale what what's kind of the latest on that so there is interest from an investor and uh, those talks are on so as they get finalized uh, we will announce the impact of that okay so 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 stay tuned basically at this point stay tuned <laughs> I want to ask you, too, about India's tax structure, because we've seen um, some other automakers, Toyota, Suzuki, they recently said that the tax structure in India um, discourages car makers from expanding or investing in new factories. So what's your views on that? I mean, are taxes too high? Could there be a better strategy or policy? India has been fairly consistent in taxes for a very long time. So it's not as if this tax structure has changed dramatically overnight. Um, and a number of car makers have succeeded in India. Uh, yes, it's a tough industry. There is a lot of competition. There are very demanding buyers, but that's consistent with almost anywhere in the world. Uh, so I would say that we know what the playing rules are and 
it's about uh, finding ways to play within those in a way that makes sense. I want to ask you too about electric vehicles in India. What needs to be done to really make it popular to the masses? How do you think that that can be achieved? I think there are three things that really drive that adoption. One is cost parity. Uh, cost parity in India is there for fleets today because fleets will run a much higher amount of miles or kilometers every day. And uh, it's still about three years away for personal vehicles. Incentives in India are in place, but they're not as high as they've been in the US or some other countries. And uh, the reason for that also is in India, it's difficult for the government to really incentivize people to buy cars when there are a number of other needs that are there across the masses. And um, that's one reason why we will see a slightly slower adoption, but EVs are here to stay. The second factor is technology in terms of range and in terms of time to charge batteries. That's getting better by the year. And uh, today for fleets, we can serve them. And the third factor is infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that again is something that will come and play over the next three to five years. Um, so I would look at a three to five year horizon in India uh, as cost parity and infrastructure comes into place. Uh, EVs will become a much bigger story at that point. Is hybrids part of the story, Anish, when all of that falls into place, or is it strictly EVs? Uh, we see a much better outcome from EVs, both from a technology standpoint, a continuous standpoint. So we don't see hybrids really being a part of that story. Uh, electric vehicles have a much greater advantage over hybrids. Uh, it will take a little longer to establish EVs, uh, but it's really the game of the future. So one thing I wanted to ask you was a little bit about global trade, because it certainly has been a big story, I think, safe to say, of the last few years, and there's been such a pushback against globalization. I know when we talked with Anand one year ago at the Bloomberg GBF, he said something about that the discord between the U.S. and China actually gave Mahindra and Mahindra some opportunities, that they were well positioned to take advantage of some of that discord. Is that true? Because we certainly have seen the tensions between the U.S. and China pick up. Is that even more so the case? And, and if you could be specific. So we are starting to see India becoming a destination for many companies. Uh, not as fast as we'd like it to be. Uh, other countries are in the game as well. And India also has been doing a lot around ease of business, around creating infrastructure, and uh, will become a preferred destination. So we're starting to see that. Uh, in terms of specifics, uh, we're seeing companies reach out to us for collaborations in India. I can't talk about specific sectors at this point or specific companies, but uh, we will see a lot more of that. And FDI flows in India have grown dramatically over the last few months. So that's a trend also that we see continue to go forward. Even with all the stresses on the global economy, you've seen that. That's impressive. Even with all the stresses, that's right. That's pretty remarkable. I do also want to ask you, you mentioned the structure that is Mahindra Mahindra, a federation. And I do wonder, uh, you mentioned earlier how that has been a plus. I mean, talk to me a little bit more about how being a federation, you know, does help you in terms of because that's not the case for a lot of other companies. I think a lot there's a, a you know a holding company structure. So how does that help you help the organization generally and also at a time like today? So let me talk about results first. Uh, we had a span of 17 years from 2002 till 2018 
where M&M was the best performing stock on Nifty, which is a benchmark mm-hmm. index in India. Uh, and that was a growth of 31% annually, compounded annually. It was driven by a 35% growth in earnings per share every year over a 17-year period and an average ROE of 22%. So if you look at those numbers, um, those are just outstanding numbers. We sort of fell off a cliff for a period of a year and a Mm -hmm. half where we had a number of losses from international subsidiaries. But that's, again, something that was driven largely by Sangyong. And with our capital allocation, now we're getting back on track. But if you look at those results and say, okay, what caused that? The federation concept allows for a very high degree of entrepreneurship. There are a number of leaders who operate as entrepreneurs, as owners of their own company within the federation. There are many who have established these companies 15 or 20 or 25 years ago. There are very large companies today. And it is that uniqueness of that model that allows for a trusted brand that stands for governance, that stands for values, synergies across the companies, and the ability to experiment, to try new things, to grow, to have the freedom to operate. That's what generated value. The underlying bedrock has been our governance and values and has been financial discipline. Um, So that's generated the results. And for us, the challenge is to to restart the next 17-year run. Um, Before we wrap up, I do want to ask you, what do you think a year from now? Do you think we will be beyond the virus? Do you think the outlook will be much clearer? There will be visibility? I am very hopeful. I cannot say for certain, but uh, my sense is even before a year, once we have a vaccine in place, also the herd immunity factor, as that comes into play as well, uh, things should be a lot better. As I said earlier, we're starting to see a lot more positivity across many industries for us, and uh, we're hoping that continues. What Uh, What keeps you up at night, though? What keeps me up is the geopolitical tensions Uh and the fact that it's not just US and China, but there are a number of tensions around the world today. Um, The world is starting to go back to being nationalist and global trade is starting to be impacted as a result. So those are the factors that I feel that are are negatives. And just to wrap up, you know, I was reading your website and going through some different things on your company's uh, you know, information online. And it says the mission of your company, a federation of companies bound by one person to rise and positively impact essentially everything that the company touches in the world. Leave us something on a high note right now, because I think the world and I think leaders around the world are struggling in this environment and trying to find their way through. You told us earlier that there are parts of your business that are actually doing well despite the pandemic. Um, Some final thoughts here. So we've, always believed that we have to do good that as we look at the equation of people planet and profits right it's really not a equation where all three are important yes they are in some way but it's people plus planet equals profit so if you focus on people and planet first profits will follow and that has been our philosophy in everything we've done uh, in terms of what we've done in the COVID space, um, I'll talk a little about that. 
We've had many of our plants converted to manufacturing aerosol boxes, face masks, shields, uh, starting to look at ventilators. We've had uh, our businesses distribute meals across the board, our technology company uh, setting up various apps in India to be able to manage the crisis, uh, and resorts being given for quarantine purposes. Internationally, a lot of efforts around that. So our focus has always been do things for the community first. On the climate side, we've been a leader in that space, uh, whether it's with uh -huh. regard to carbon price, with regard to the commitments that we made on that front, uh, what Anand Mahindra has done uh, with various forums around the world. And that's, again, something that we feel is important for the planet. So it's a focus on people and planet. And uh, that on people includes our employees and included, includes the entrepreneurs we have in the group as well and giving them the freedom to run. And that results in profits. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I just do want to, two, two quick follow-ups. In terms of employees, as I said, 250,000 employees around the world, um, what have you had to do to take care of them, certainly in this environment? Yes, uh, a number of things. So the first thing we did was uh, make sure that from a safety standpoint, um, our employees were kept completely safe. So we started with work from home. So we've moved about 60,000 employees to work from home within 24 hours. And within two weeks, we were at 100,000 work from home. Today, we're at about 150,000. And for the folks who had to come into our plants, a very detailed system of uh, checks around ensuring their safety. In addition to that, what we've set up is our own quarantine facilities. So we've uh, taken over a couple of hotels and partnered with the hospital and got a panel of doctors. So our employees have access to 24 seven uh, doctor care, uh, home quarantine care. If you need to be in a quarantine facility outside, if you need hospitals outside. So that comfort is given to our employees as well. So there's a host of different things around that. Right? And one last question, climate change, um, because I do know that that is so important to your company. Uh, and I do wonder, have any of your objectives, your goals when it comes to sustainability and climate change, have they been had to be postponed because of the virus? Or are you keeping to your initial strategy pre-COVID? On that, Carol, we actually see that accelerating. Mm -hmm. Because one of the trends we see coming out of this pandemic is people are more concerned about the planet. Um, in India, we've seen cities with really blue skies, no pollution, and that's been a unique experience. Um, so people are used to that now. And uh, we feel that there is going to be a greater push uh, to make sure that everyone is concerned about the planet and is doing things right for the planet.